UINs is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. You're listening to You Irons, a West Ham podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney, and as always, I'm with The Athletic's Hammers correspondent, Rashane Thomas. We'll continue to bring you podcasts throughout the football hiatus with a number of special theme shows and big-name guests. You can listen to last week's show where we spoke with the Hammers legend, Tony Cotty. There's also a raft of great content going up on TheAthletic.com, where this week, Rashane has picked his current best West Ham eleven, which doesn't include club captain Mark Noble. To read that and much more, go to athletic.com right now and sign up for a 40% discount by using the promo code WESTHAMPOD. It will cost you less than £3 a month. Welcome to a very special roundtable West Ham podcast pod where we have brought together very much like the five families of the New York Mafia. Um, uh, figures from four the big four West Ham podcasts. Well, big three. This is the new one, New Irons. We're the new kids on the block. I'm Sam Delaney. I'm joined as always by Rashane Thomas. Hello, Rashane. Hi, Sam. Also joining us in our virtual studio, uh, we have Phil Whelans from Stop Hammer Time. Hello, Phil. Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. We've got uh, Sean Wetstam from More Than Just a Podcast. Hello, Sean. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. There you go. Thanks ever so much for joining us. And we have ex-WHU employee from the West Ham Way podcast. Hello, X. Hello there. Uh, this is wonderful, all of us getting together like this. Um, appreciate all of you sitting down and taking the time to uh, share our views and thoughts in this strange period for West Ham and football and indeed planet Earth. But we're going to try to... Uh, steer clear of too much uh, coronavirus chat and I guess just reflect on where West Ham are uh, at the moment as we go into this little hiatus and get every one of the the main podcasters views on the big issues I mean our last game it seems so long ago now was Arsenal Um, uh, a narrow defeat to Arsenal just as it looked like we may be about to put together a decent bit of form uh, Sean, let's start with you. Where did you see us going from there on in? I mean, of course, this season may well still finish later on in the summer at some point. But where did you think we were? How, what were your hopes uh, or fears about relegation after that Arsenal game? Well, we were starting to turn a corner, weren't we? I mean, we weren't getting the results against Liverpool and Arsenal, but it could have been different. Uh, and typical West Ham way, isn't it? Just as you start to get a little bit of form, then then some pandemic comes along and, and ruins it all <laughs> Classic, and yeah. stops our rhythm. Um, look, it was going to be close. It might still be close. And, and the concern is, you know, will we be at disadvantage or advantage if it's played behind closed doors? I've got no idea. Um, but, you know, we're, 
we sit in 16th place uh, after 29 games, uh, just separated by goal difference in Bournemouth in 18th. You know, we're, we're never... Uh, I, I always thought we would be safe if we played the, the remaining nine games. Um, but who knows? I mean... You just don't know um, who, who who might be self-isolating, who might be, uh, you know, wh- whether we need to play at neutral ground, but, but play behind closed doors. So it's it's a difficult one to call. If if you ask me, I'd like to end the season now and, and carry on. But I know we're not going to talk about that. So, you know, I, I think if we'd have carried on, we'd have scraped through and survived another season. Yeah, it's too, just too difficult to call now. X, all things being equal, let's pretend that the virus hadn't happened and we had uh, kicked on. Um, I think the next game was Wolves. And by now we would have played both Wolves and Spurs. All things being equal, the team as it was, were you confident that we had enough to stay up? Um, not confident, no, but I think like Sean said, we probably would have just scraped it just because we had some games that were against those teams that are around us. We had Norwich away, we had Watford and Villa at home. And so I think we would have just about had enough to beat those teams and just about stayed up. So yeah, I'm like Sean, I just want the season to be finished now. But I think had it not been, we would have just about stayed up, which to be honest, is a real massive disappointment for where I saw this season going but at this point I'd definitely take that Phil um, did you think that we, we had what it took I mean that, that defeat against Arsenal was uh, another one a bit like a couple of weeks before against Liverpool where you kind of thought yeah, yeah we lost but we lost with dignity that's nice yeah. isn't it yeah, one was a heartwarming loss and one was a frustrating loss, uh, but they were both two losses with good performances in. But they, they um, you know, it's really poised on a knife edge, wasn't it? There was, you know, I remember you and I walking away from a game in the Avram Grant season um, and it was in that spell when we got Denver Bar. It had been the kind of winter transfer window and we thought, that's it, we're staying up. You know, this team is going to win enough games. If we play like that, we should be, you know, I think we beat Stoke and Liverpool in a uh, two more or less successive games, didn't we? And um, uh, we were really confident and we ended up going down. Similarly, I think um, in the middle Allardyce premiership season, I remember walking away from the ground with Jim uh, from the podcast I do. Um, and Jim was saying, I just can't see where the points are coming from. And it was only that sort of slightly freakish manager of the month February that the got us sort of four wins and um, put us safe. Uh, but we were more or less convinced that we would go down that season. I thought Bowen made a huge difference. And, and, and you know, I think that's the... Uh, that's the difference, I think, in a in a sort of tense run in is who's got a player in form, which team's got a player who's really kind of setting the world on fire. And Bowen looks um, like mustard to me. And I think our trajectory was generally upwards. Barrera, um, not Barrera, four hours was uh, had discovered a new sort of confidence. Antonio was bullying defenders, so it felt like you had reason to be encouraged. Rashane, I know you wrote a piece in the Athletic today. Um, in which you said what you felt the best eleven was as of you know the Arsenal game. Um, uh, certainly, we did look better, like Phil said, post January transfer window. Suchek and Bowen looked like very good acquisitions. You don't think that Mark Noble would be a natural starter anymore with the players we've got, no? Yeah, that's for the simple fact. I feel like 
it's just much better if we have like a youthful midfield with uh, Rice and Suchak controlling the middle because obviously we saw in the Man City game, Suchak ran eight miles. The first player to, West Ham to play to do so and I think over like six years, which is just incredible. <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> and uh, I just feel like we need to start preparing for Martin Noble's exit. His contract expires at the end of next season. He's 32 now. I mean, he can't. He's, he's been great seventh for us, but he can't be our leader like all the time. And we need to start looking at other players. And that's my thinking behind setting him out four four two formation. So he's been written off many, many times before, hasn't he? Do you think this finally is the the you know beginning the end of his career though? Now, no, um, uh, he's proved us wrong time and time again. Um, I think he's got a career at this club when he's playing days are finished. In fact, hey, that's a bit controversial. How about? him as player manager next season he loves this club through and through I bet you you know he's the one when Pellegrini was quiet in the dressing room that was was talking up um he, he bleeds West Ham and all right he might not have the fastest legs anymore but he's still got a place to play as a substitute I think next season um and and, and maybe I'm a little bit tongue-in-cheek saying player manager but I think he could he could have a place on on the coaching staff um quite quickly I don't know if he's doing his badges or not but um, I think we're, we're going to have you know Mark Noble around for many years to come it'd be nice to see something like that I mean that is something we haven't seen for a long time they, they've made gestures like first they brought back Stuart Pearce then they brought back Kevin Nolan but it feels like the the kind of idea of any sort of uh, family or or kind of line running through the club has been abandoned a long time ago, doesn't it, Phil? It'd be nice to have someone kept on like that, like they used to do. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Julian Dix, obviously, was um, uh, uh, Slavin Bilic's number two. Um, yeah, it, 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 the trouble is every time we look to maybe sort of build for the future and start making decisions about whether to keep Mark Noble, we get into a kind of... Uh, crappy relegation dogfight where we're really just putting out the 11 people that look like they might be able to win the game is is how to proceed I mean I think that um certainly last season I think Noble went missing for a couple of games possibly due to an injury and when he came back he made a huge difference he's he's one of the best passers if not our best passer over sort of you know 20 to 30 yards his sort of cross field balls to somebody running a channel like uh, Antonio. Um, he's sort of the only one that does that, really, in a way that a kind of sort of midfield puppeteer in a kind of Ian Bishop type uh, style does, you know. And, um, you know, the Spurs game at their new stadium last season, you know, my um, Tottenham Hotspur supporting friend said he was the best player on the pitch all afternoon. Uh, uh, Spurs' new stadium against uh, quite a strong Spurs team, best player on the pitch, 30, you know, one year or whatever he was at that time, Mark Noble. You know, it is difficult. Uh, I think it would be great to have him in a sort of um, sort of first team coach, you know, in on the coaching staff sort of capacity to perhaps kind of learn from from whoever's manager at the time. I mean, Rochelle, you say that he shouldn't be in the starting eleven, but do you feel that his sort of influence around the club and over the other players is, you know, is bigger than just the performance he puts in on the pitch? Yeah, we've seen it with uh, Jeremy and Gekia when he played that tune of the feet against Liverpool and he spoke afterwards about, you know, how he helped him relax, how he's been a great mentor for him. And just in my regards, the Athletic, like interviewing former West Ham players, everyone speaks so well about Mark Noble, how he's just a leader, he sets example and everyone follows. 
But just touching on the uh, player manager role, he actually done like a Q&A yesterday on uh, the Twitter feed on West Ham. And he was asked, you know, when you retire, do you want to become a pundit or do you want to enter management? And he said he wants to do a bit of punditry because he has no plans to become a manager. Uh, but I did, I did say in football, you know, you never say never. So Yeah, plus, I mean, I think he loves West Ham so much. If he was if he was offered something like that, he's, you would imagine he'd find it very difficult to turn down. I think you're starting to hear that from players now, aren't you, Colin? We had uh, Collins on uh, Hammer Time and... You know, after the podcast in the pub, he, we were going, are you interested in sort of management and stuff? You're such a, you know, people see you as such a kind of lion-hearted figure. You'll be a brilliant motivator. And he went, listen, every footballer's doing their badges now. I, it's just a saturated market. I can't see, you know, why I would necessarily get a job. And, you know, I think I think now quite a few players are starting to feel that, that it's, it's getting to be a bit of a... Um, a sort of saturated market. market players doing yeah. their doing their badges and you know going into management. A lot of them are just too rich, aren't they? I mean, why would they go in for it? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's yeah. hell. It's yeah. hell, and you don't need to do it anymore necessarily. No, that was the fantastic thing about Collins. He was sort of saying, you know, um, I was disappointed maybe not to get another another year at West Ham, and then I went to Ipswich. And if I got another year now. I would definitely take it, but I possibly wouldn't if it was in the northeast or something. I've got, you know, I don't know how many kids he's got, but he lives near Bishop Stortford and was uh, going, you know, I don't really want to move the family for an 18-month contract somewhere, you know, way up in the north of England. And if I did retire, I wouldn't mind. I, You know, I know how to fill my days. I'm not... I'm just not one of those footballers that's going to descend into a kind of mental illness through through having his livelihood and his reason to live torn away from him. I'm going to play rugby for the local amateur rugby club. I used to play in Wales. I've already played for the cricket team. I'm going to play loads of other sports and I'm going to have a good time. Let's talk about some of the other positives this season because, you know, it, I think we can all agree it's been very disappointing. I don't think anyone saw this coming. I mean, you know, I, I listen to, to you guys a lot and I don't think anyone was really suggesting that we were going to struggle this season. We thought it would be, if anything, an improvement on last year. I mean, let's look at what went wrong. We chatted to Tony Cotty last week on on U-Irons and he said that he, he said, actually, I never thought Pellegrini was right for the club and I wasn't that surprised when things went wrong. He didn't think it was the right fit. X, do you think that was the, the root of what went wrong? We just discovered perhaps a bit too late that Pellegrini wasn't quite the right fit with West Ham. The way the season started to go wrong for me was when Fabianski got injured and we stuck a clowning goal. And then when we had that clowning goal, that's when our season started to fall apart. Um, so you can put that blame down to a number of people, but um, that's the that's the main reason for me. And then you look, you've got Sebastian Allaire. We often debate on our podcast whether he's worth the 40 Five million. I debate. I, I'm very much of the feeling that he hasn't um, proven himself to be as good as we hoped he'd be. Yes, he hasn't got the service possibly, but I don't think he's performed. You look around. Pellegrini was insistent on signing Wilshire. You know, you'd have been better off signing me. Um, there's literally yeah. there's so many players that you can go through. Carlos Sanchez is another one. Um, so many players there that were, turned out to be uh, massively disappointing. And then when these, you know, I think when. 
Roberto was in goal, it really affected the confidence of all the other players so much that they couldn't really sort of get themselves up to the levels and the manager started to lose the plot a bit as well because I mean even since he's gone now he's re reflected upon his time and he said he shouldn't have played him so you can't put everything down to Roberto of course but I think the recruitment that we made in the summer whether you blame the board for that as well I don't know but the fact that we just didn't get enough players in so when we were down to the bare bones we, we couldn't bring anyone in I mean we've got Sebastian Allaire pretty much as our only forward got a jetty that no one seems to rate um, got Antonio playing up front who really doesn't have the technical ability to be an out and out forward um, and I think when you're playing in the Premier League with one forward that's never played in the Premier League before that's a massive gamble in itself so I think it's mainly for me it's down to recruitment um, was the main reason we ended up in this position but of course you know we're talking about a manager who uh, uh, as far as we we're led to believe appointed his own director of football and therefore they haven't really got he, he doesn't have anywhere to hide does he when when it when it comes down to the signings because he can't blame the board because he he, he effectively appointed his own director of football who went out and signed Roberto um, as far as I understand it ex he, he was the one who sanctioned the Jack Wiltshire signing they scouted Haller, obviously not thoroughly enough. So, you know, for once, when it came to signings, we couldn't blame Sullivan or his son's FIFA addiction, could we? we? You know, you had to blame the manager. I would obviously question whether they would have signed the likes of Roberto had there been 10 million available to sign a backup keeper, for example. So would they have gone with a free transfer um, over a 10 million keeper? It's hard to say. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, apparently they wanted, Sean can probably back me up on this, they wanted to sign Roberto before they signed Fabianski. So they obviously rated this guy. Um, why? I don't know because for me he had lacked the very basics of what a top keeper should have in terms of closing angles and distribution and things like that so and I think towards the end he just lost the ability to motivate the players as well I mean uh, you know the cut performances were were poor um, against Oxford and then we just went on a bit of a, a, a rut where our performance level just wasn't good enough and I mean to me this season I think everyone has to take an element of accountability the board the manager and the players the three of them they've all got an element of the reason of this being such a disappointment uh Rashane, do you do you agree with that do you think it was um that roberto and that acquisition was bad i mean for me Haller has got to be one of the worst signings the club has made because although we've seen flashes of talent you've got to compare what we're getting uh, in the context of the money we spent now, that was about 45 million, which for any club, much less West Ham, is such a huge outlay. It's the sort of money that if you're West Ham, you've got to be close to certain that this this bloke's got everything. And he just hasn't, has he? I mean, you know, on his day, he's a great finisher. And once in a while, he shows the physicality you would expect. But most of the time, for a big bloke, he's just not even getting involved enough, is he? Yeah, that as well. I mean... Also, it's lack of pace, like too. I think the only like really good thing he's done since he's been here is that Rabona pass against Southampton. That's yeah. the only great moment I can think of when it comes yeah. to Sebastian Allaire. And it's like forty-five million for what seven league goals? I mean, really, better off giving Andy Carroll a new contract. You know what I mean? So, I so bet that, Carroll probably would have got seven goals. To be fair, <laughs> wouldn't it? By now, 
Yeah, that's true, that's true. But I'll quickly want to touch on um, X's comment about the goalkeeper situation because first of all, that was very hilarious when you say Roberto was a clown. I was going to fire and say he was a clown that suffered stage fright because that Burnley game when he punched the ball into his own net, I mean, that's just inexcusable. I mean, you, there's no way anyone like, you could defend that. And it's worth mentioning, we actually had the chance to sign Neil Etheridge last summer. Uh, the goalkeeper of Cardiff City and we, t- and we turned on the chance to do so. So again, just poor recruitment and not identifying like really good players. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com slash irons and pay the postage of £4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener to you irons, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, and a beery snack is thrown in as well. Just go to beer52.com slash irons to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, you irons listeners get two extra free beers. The team needs rebuilding. Whether we stay up or go down, it feels like a bit of a mishmash of a team. There's people signed by Billet still. There's Pellegrini signings. There's Moy signings. There's um, different eras of signing. There's periods in which we were focusing on experience, like Zabaleta, Fabianski. Then there's periods where we're trying to get youngsters. It's, it's all a bit of a mess. Next season, whether wherever we are, whether we're in the Prem or, cha- or the Championship, what... What is the the basis of the team going forward? Because a lot of those players have got to, uh, have got to go. Which ones would stay? Who who do you think, Phil? What's what's the sort of spine of the team going forward? I think that is right. I think it is the continuity that was the problem. I I, I mean, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I think if we'd stayed with uh, Moyes over that summer, um, he had identified areas and was moving players around into those positions uh, to try and deal with those problems, making playing three at the back, uh, playing Masawaka as a wing back, Arnautovic as an out-and-out forward using the pace, you know. Um, and even Jao Mario was a good acquisition, a kind of tricksy sort of number 10 type to come in and give, um, you know, sort of give uh, Arnautovic some support. We, um, we've we had a perennial sort of problem with fullbacks ever since Slavon Bilic decided to embark on the first season in the uh, new stadium with one left back. He was going to start the season with one left back and then Cresswell was injured and he had to panic by uh, Masawaku, who's not a left back and possibly not a footballer. And, uh, and also our right back problem, who's going to, I'm going to play Mikel Antonio at right back. So he's going to start a new season in a new stadium with a converted winger at right back and one left back. I mean, it's just insane. And we still have a kind of fullback problem. We need someone and Gakia looks all right. I like Fredericks. I think he's great, but he seems to be. A little bit injury prone, you know. He's sort of he's getting a different range of injuries every single time. I don't know what why he went down 
uh, with that last injury because he walked off the pitch. So it wasn't clearly wasn't a serious sort of leg type injury. But Jesus Christ, I mean, he gets injured a lot and that's a problem, but he's good. And so we need some backup for that. So I would say sort of, you know, Cresswell, you know, he's getting on a little as well. You know, we, we, uh, we're putting a team with sort of four or five players in their 30s at the moment. And, um, you know, uh, Noble, Snodgrass, Cresswell, Ogbonna, you know, Antonio, was very, or at least very late 20s. I think they probably are 30s. Um, so I would say fullbacks, definitely. And um, it feels like the Suchek yeah. guy might be a... Yeah, so do I. I think he's great. Absolutely shows you what you want when you chuck a kid on the pitch. That sort of Everton, you know, that Everton guy who's got the sort of ponytail, Tom something. I remember on Match of the Day, him getting thrown out at, you know, 17 or something and just running around like a maniac. And that was great. That's what you've got. That's what your kids have got to do, you know, really put in some work. And Angakia against Liverpool in that game was fantastic. Just put in a shift, you know. I, I love him. He's great. Um, I think we've lost Sean, which is a real shame because we'll never know his views on this or any other matters we're going to discuss. But there's been a technical issue. Um, yes, I thought so, I thought it had been a while since we heard yeah, from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll have to just say thanks. He was short but sweet. Um, so you think Suchek, fullbacks, obviously Fabianski, everyone loves. Although you know he has had a funny enough, he has had his first yeah. couple of dodgy games. Post. Post-injury Fabianski is like a slightly different Fabianski. He's been sort of nervous, a bit nervous, uh, you know, obvious mistakes like the Liverpool goal, but, you know, sort of a little bit flappy. Distribution looks a bit worse. But I, reckon sure was, I, reckon, I reckon he was rushed back, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Rushed back. X is one for you. Will Declan Rice be at the club next season, do you think? It's hard to say at this point because obviously I don't know what division West Ham are going to be in at this point. I don't even know when the season's going to start. But um, I think the, the problem we've got is that all the big clubs are rightfully going to be looking at him because any player that's a regular in the England team and performing how he is, is going to get attention from the big clubs. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that likes of Man City, Manchester United, Chelsea and so on are looking at him. Uh, he is a Chelsea fan he's a very his whole family are his dad was like die hard fan back in the day um so if Chelsea are the ones that worry me. If they put in a bid, then I would worry. The only thing that's... like the Pogba situation with United, isn't it? I mean, it, it's more extreme, but the, the fact that they cultivated him, let him go, he, he, he becomes a better player and then they sign him back again. Uh, of course, and, and Mason Mount's his best friend, isn't he? He is, yeah. They're very, they're very close. Um, we've got um, him on a long-term deal. You know, he only signed a long deal five years, I think it was, last sort of winter. So we've got at least four years. So if we want to, we could put a big asking price on him. And whether Chelsea would pay, you know, 80, 90 million for him, I don't know, because I don't know enough about Chelsea. But um, I think they're the team that would worry me. I think if it was Man City, Man United, he'd still stick around assuming we're still in the Premier League if Chelsea come in for him I, I don't know what will happen it'll be up to us to turn them down it'd be hard I mean the thing is you look at it and if if we if we all kind of try to suspend our uh, you know affiliation to West Ham for a moment you kind of think he'd be mad to stick around much longer I mean it's an awful thing to say but the way you know he's been absolutely our best player 
pretty consistently for coming up to three years. And, you know, and he is a regular in England team. And West Ham aren't showing any signs of progress at the moment. So it would be really hard to knock him if he did decide to leave this summer, even if we do stay in the Premier League, don't you think? Yeah, it would be. And I mean, with with him, he does love West Ham. I mean, he's very, very passionate. You only have to see him at the end of the game. One of the few players that consistently, you know, go and give the fans a clap. And, and, and you know, having spoke to him, you know, we interviewed him on our podcast when he first broke into the squad and kind of through various things like that. have made. And I know people like Dave Hunt that brought him to West Ham. So I've been able to sort of keep in touch with him indirectly. I remember the first time, to be fair, to be fair to your podcast, the first time I ever heard of the bloke was when you had him on, I think, before he'd even played in the first team. And I remember one summer listening to quite a long interview that you did with him and I'd never heard of him at all. And um, then quite quickly after that, I'm not saying that you've got the Midas touch X, but I'm saying quite soon after that, he was in the first team. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, to be fair, I knew that that was going to happen because he was so highly rated um, in the sort of youth circles. He went on a really interesting sort of career journey because obviously he was released by Chelsea and then he was one of the last people to get a scholarship of his age group at West Ham. So he was almost released by West Ham as well. And then he's one of those people that, a bit like Frank Lampard, who is obviously alongside John Terry, one of his idols, he kind of practised and practised and had that right attitude and that determination has obviously got himself to the standard he's got himself to now um, but I know I know he loves the club I know he gets massively frustrated with things like fans would do because he wants the club to kick on and he can't understand why certain things are happening I think as I said if it was any if no if any other club goes in for him I think we're okay my worry is if Chelsea launch a serious I mean, bid yeah, you, you look at Chelsea and you think there's three other things apart from that these are massive family's best mates there like you say the the appeal of playing under frank lampard who's pretty much the biggest club legend they've ever had um and his similar position to decton rice then you think well they haven't been able to spend any money for a while because they had the transfer ban which means i guess they've probably built up something of a war chest and lastly that position really at chelsea has been occupied by kante for the last sort of couple of years and he's not getting any younger, so it's exactly the area of the of the pitch that they're going to be looking at. Lampard likes young British players. I mean, look, he's t- put Abraham's in, Mount in. He's put that centre back whose name I forget that's got in the England squad. You know, he's put all of that. They've got the right back in as well. He's put a load of young British players into that team. So he's obviously wanting to build a team round um, British players. And I think Declan, unfortunately, would fit his uh, criteria, his recruitment criteria, very, very. Um, precisely. Rashane, what's your instinct? Do you think he'll be off in the summer? The media guys at West Ham uh, interviewed Declan Rice earlier this month and in the article he says, you know, one day he'd love to be West Ham captain. So according to Declan, he has no intention of leaving the club anytime soon. So um, obviously, touching touch on what X said, it does depend on what division you're in. If it's the worst case scenario, I'm, I'm a relegated to the championship and I can see him leaving. But, I mean, Chelsea spent, what, 50 million on Jorginho? So... I'm not taking anything less than 100 million for Declan Rice. Phil, I mean, I don't. Me personally, I think whether we're in the Premier League or the champion or the Championship makes no odds. I mean, you know, this this kid's a, a, an England regular, and he's at West Ham, a team who, if anything, could go in backwards. Let's be honest, he's he's gone, isn't he? He's got he's got to be gone. I like to uh, believe in in what Rashane and X are saying, but 
to be honest, if United come in for him, let alone City, I just can't see him saying, no thanks, I'll stick around here at this madhouse. I've got to be completely honest. I mean, I sort of think he's still developing at the moment. I'm not quite sure what sort of a player he is. He's, you know, in a, in an attacking capacity, you know, um, Ross Barkley is sort of better than him. Ross Barkley passes the ball better, gets forward better. You know, um, if a team wants a kind of, you know, a, a player to protect the back four, like sort of Gareth Barry used to do. Uh, Declan could sort of certainly do that. You see within a game when he sort of gets a bit more confident, maybe it was the Bournemouth game when we were sort of cruising and we were ahead. He started to run forward with the ball and try and make something happen. Uh, other times he's got a sort of just a defensive uh, mindset. And uh, I'm not entirely sure what sort of a player he is. And that's why I'm not. I'm not all that, convinced that he and Noble actually work all that well together. They're a little bit less than the sum of their parts in in, in my uh, estimation, because neither quite wants to just screen the back four. They both want to get sort of forward a bit. And sometimes they slightly lack that telepathy of one stays back when the other bursts forward. And um, if he does go to another team, he's going to have to carve out a role for himself. Kante is brilliant. Kante is brilliant. He made Leicester, you know, the, the champions of the division. You know, he was the absolute engine of that Leicester team. Declan Rice is not as good as N'Golo Kante. You know, he's not as good. Uh, and, um, you know, I, 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 I think this is a sort of key season for him because I think there are players that could, um, you know, uh, usurp his England place. You know, um, uh, he was an absolutely... Uh, vital component to Gareth Southgate's team because he came in as a kind of defensive midfielder. But I, I think there might be slightly more workhorse people in that position. You know, uh, Gareth Barry being being a bit unfair to Gareth Barry, but Gareth Barry types. Uh, and then you put your more flair players in front of those. But then that player really does have to just protect the back four. So you, you and think that's he's it. a bit, he's a bit of a jack of all trades, and he could suffer from that. What do you think about that, X? I know you've watched him from a very young age when he was first a centre-back. What sort of player do you think he sees himself ending well, up as? Well, I think he sees himself in the position he is now as a defensive midfielder because obviously that's what's got him where he is in terms of the England squad in terms of his status in world football. But when he was actually coming through the academy, I actually thought he was a better centre-back than he was defensive midfielder. So for me, I've had to change my stance. I think now, though, he because he's played that role for two or three years, he needs to keep working on it. But he does have that attack inside to him. He can... He he can beat players. He can. He has got a decent shot when he get, gets it off. Um, and I think he just needs to be a bit more confident bringing the ball forward. Like I think he reminds me very much of Michael Carrick. And when Michael Carrick first started at West Ham, he, he was yeah. like quite conservative in terms of his approach to going forward and quite, quite, um, you know, un, like I don't know if unconfident is the right word, but he wasn't prepared to take people or drive forward. But I think now is his time when he. Needs needs to add that to his game and once he adds that confidence which I think he did you know I seem to remember he did, did it against Arsenal I think he did it in the home game against Southampton as well once he starts to add that to his game then for me there there's no better defensive midfielder certainly in England um, and then you could say possibly in world football if you want to get a bit carried away we haven't talked about the protest but to be honest uh, you know I guess we're trying to all 
be as optimistic and as positive as we can at the moment about all areas of life. So I tell you what, I'm going to ask you a different sort of a question before uh, we all disperse. Um, we're all locked in our houses. Um, we've got more time on our hands and we've got no football. Um, so tell me, is there any football or particularly West Ham content that you've been consuming to kind of ease the pain of all of this? Uh, Rashane, got any recommendations apart from your own writing, of course, on The Athletic? You know what? I've been reading um, uh, Bobby Moore, The Man in Full, uh, Matt Dickinson's book. Yeah. That's been, that's been getting by. A really good read so far. I've been doing that, just reading what fans are saying on forum. That's what I've been up to these past few what days. What have you learned about Bobby Moore that surprised you? I'm only 30 pages into the book. Right. So I've, I, I was just like 300, 300 pages down. Uh Phil? Got any sort of West Ham or football content to, to recommend? We've done two um, stop hammer times since uh, lockdown. So uh, two yeah. podcasts where we've just been sort of on Skype like we are now. And yeah. uh, so we last one, we just talked about a game that was in the past, but on this day. And uh, no, um, so I've been thinking about sort of old matches a lot. In fact, apparently the club on their YouTube channel uh, today showed the entirety of the last game at the bowling. I sort of wish I'd watched that. Um, mm. oh, presumably it might still be up on uh, YouTube. Did be quite they good show to any of the uh, shenanigans outside the bowling beforehand? Because that, <laughs> I that, hope so. Uh, I hope rightly so, yeah. or wrongly, that is yeah. very much part of all of our memories of that special night. Oh, I'll tell you what I might watch uh, after we've done this. I might watch that Maradona documentary that, was, oh. that I, I TiVo'd it. And um, uh, yeah, is it good? Do you, do you know what? I've only seen the first half an hour of that uh, when it first was came out after the cinema, yeah. and it was fantastic. Um, right. So it's certainly on my watch list. Everyone, it was. I think Channel Four put it out on Friday, didn't they? So everyone's been talking yeah, yeah. about it and going on about how great it was. Oh, hey, that um, that posh writer uh, who wrote Downton Abbey, he's got a thing on Netflix, hasn't he? Oh yes, um, I have seen what's that. His name? I have seen that. Apparently Julian Fellows. Yeah, Julian yeah. Fellows, and I actually. Um, Myself and Andy Dawson, I do another podcast with, uh, mm. were asked by Netflix to review it on their Netflix podcast because um, our other podcast about football. So they wanted a football fan's perspective. It's a dramatization, a true story of how football was basically became professionalized in this country. It's really mm. interesting. And um, when we went to record the podcast, Julian Fellows himself was there. So we had to effectively oh, wow. review it in front of him, which was awkward. Wow, wow. Luckily, we both liked it. Um, but it was what was interesting was Julian Fellows didn't really have any interest in football or know anything no. about it before he took the project on. And he just researched it and wrote it. But turns out football was invented by public schools, by Eaton and Harrow and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, there's a bit of a plagiarism thing. Apparently, he was accused of plagiarising some of it from some book about football uh, that he just nicked. I suppose it, you know, it's, like, it's a bit hard because it's a, sort of what really happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, how can you plagiarise so really that? Yeah, yeah. plagiarism. Yeah. Uh, X, got anything along these lines to recommend to us? I know, actually, X, I don't know if this is giving too much away, but you are one of our brave key workers, so you've probably got <laughs> less time on your hands than the rest of us. Yeah, that is true. Unfortunately, I am uh, a key worker, so I am out and about um, with not a huge amount of change to my life other than less roads, uh, less cars on the road. And uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I haven't got as much time as uh, the rest of you. I mean, we, we did our podcast last night. That's out. And um, we've got a few ex-players lined up that are going to be coming on in the next few weeks, ones that we're going to do events with us, which we um, obviously can't do now. So the substitute is 
space for them to do the podcast with us. And to be honest with you, um, I don't. It sounds weird being how involved I am with like West Ham and stuff uh, in terms of actual football outside of West Ham stuff. I don't actually watch that much, and I don't sort of pay much attention to anything else. I used to. Don't get me wrong, but then when I sort of became ex, so to speak, it took over so much that I don't tend to actually watch that much anymore and and now I haven't actually watched anything to do with football in quite some time to be honest with you I've watched on on Amazon if if you've got Amazon Prime they've got all of the FIFA official World Cup films from all of the World Cups I think dating back to 62 66 and they are incredible films because it's you know obviously you've, you've seen these world cups a lot of them you've lived through and remember but the way they make these films is very different to usual sports coverage they they film them very cinematically so they're in this very rich film and they they have very interesting people doing the voiceovers like so i watched the story of the 1982 world cup and it's uh narrated by sean connery oh, <laughs> and wow. i'm sitting there in the middle of an afternoon on a Monday in my tracksuit, my feet up, having a cup of tea, watching James Bond tell me the story of the 1982 World Cup, thinking, isolation's great. Yeah, that's brilliant. Wow. Yeah, so oh, I can I recommend I those. Plus, I've accidentally, with my uh, eight-year-old son, done something I vowed I would never go back to um, for about 12 years, and I've accidentally started up a manager career mode on FIFA 20. And obviously, it's now absorbing every last corner of my mind. But I won't manage West Ham because the stakes are too high then and I get too emotional about it. (laughs) So I'm managing Brentford and I've got them promoted via the playoffs to the Premier League, which I'm very pleased about. Well, where where are your table right now, Sub? Well, I just finished my first season in the Prem and I finished 13th, which was not bad for a first season up there. But I've... um, I've got some issues in the transfer market with Shane. I might contact you about this off off air. Uh, I don't know if you've got any knowledge or tips about FIFA 20. I don't play it, to be honest. You just let me down a, a dead end there. Um, fellas, I really, really appreciate your time. It's fantastic uh, and an honour to speak to all of you. It's good for all of us to get together. Um, please listen in to uh, Stop Hammer Time to the West Ham Way podcast with X and, of course, to more than just a podcast with Sean, who unfortunately we lost, but perhaps we'll get him back on another one of these episodes of UINs in future weeks. Fellas, thank you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Let's hope we're all back watching West Ham lose sooner rather than later. And uh, this has been UINs. Thanks very much. And remember, ladies and gents, there's only one Samasi Abu. (laughs) 